Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Revenge of the Drive-In. For those of you returning listeners, thank you for joining us once again. And if you are joining us for the first time, this is the podcast brought to you by the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network, where we watch, review, and walk you through two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. These are usually action or horror movies. In this case, we've got two horror movies. And I'm your host, Patrick, and I am joined by my usual co-host... Jim, hello, hello, Patrick. Happy season three. You just can't get rid of me, can you? I uh, yeah, I've been trying. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Exciting season ahead of us. If for glimpses as to what we'll be covering, you can always check out. We released an episode where we drafted these movies via random number generator, but also some additional nonsense of vetoing things every now and then. <laughs> But yeah, Urban Legend, this is our first 90s slasher movie. This is our first true post-Scream slasher movie we've covered, which things are different before Scream and after Scream for sure. In fact, when this movie came out, this was largely criticized for being like a Scream, a scream ripoff, which... Oh, really? I don't know if that's 100% fair. I mean, there's definitely an influence. And then and then we had uh, Forbidden World, which... Which was, wi- which was widely criticized for being an alien ripoff. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, <is>. that's... <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm going. I'm just going to be upfront. I'm going to screw up that title at some point during this recording. I'm going to end up saying "Forbidden Planet." Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is a far better movie. Although not to say "Forbidden World" is bad. It was actually I had seen both these movies before. Didn't remember too much about Urban Legend. I remembered the ending, and mm-hmm. I remembered the opening scene with Brad Dourif, and I didn't remember a whole lot other than that. But for "Forbidden World," my goodness, is that a brutal movie? I, I enjoyed that so much more than I, I remembered enjoying it the first really? time I saw it. Now, when was the first time you saw it? I don't know. It's, well, it also hurts, too, because I get Forbidden World mixed up with Galaxy of Terror. Because yeah. the movies, they're <laughs> yeah. both early 80s Roger Corman movies. They both use the same sets. And they're both like sci-fi horror, alien knockoff kind of things that are like pretty violent. I don't know which of those two I would have seen first, and yeah, so I'm not really sure, but probably not, you know, maybe five years ago or so was probably the first time I saw that. Well, uh, the first time I saw Forbidden World was over Christmas break when I was in England. It showed up on my Amazon Prime, and I was like, I'll watch that. And uh, yeah, I was like, this is great. And then that was also around the time that we were talking about a podcast. So I think that's when I was like, I think I saw this and Inseminoid right around the same time. Inseminoid, I remember you And I was like, okay, I was like, Forbidden World and Inseminoid have to be on the list. (laughs) If I'm not mistaken, Inseminoid is coming up later this season, so. Oh my gosh. uh, Some more weird, erotic, or overly sexual sci-fi horror alien stuff coming your way. (laughs) Anyways, let's start with Urban Legend. This is a movie released in 1998. It's directed by... Jamie Blanks. I believe this is the first film he directed. He also directed another post-Scream slasher movie called Valentine, which I actually kind of like, even though it's not really a good movie. I think that has some really, really well-executed horror scenes, like scare scenes, kill scenes. And then any scene where actors are talking is just awful. It's like unwatchable. It's, it's like a classic, like <laughs> fast forward through all scenes involving plot and just to get yeah. to the, but, but, but the, the meat of the movie is actually really well done. Urban legend for what it's worth, probably a better acted movie than that, than Valentine. I don't know. It's not, not a great acted movie, but we've got a couple of big names. We've got Jared Leto, everyone's least favorite person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
we've got Tara Reed, pre-Sharknado Tara Reed, yeah. when she was at the peak of her incredibly sexy powers. This is right before American <laughs> Pie. Okay. And yeah. then Alicia Witt is the lead. I, mm-hmm. I know she's in a lot of stuff. What's What's she like most known for? I think it might be this movie. I'm not really sure. I have no clue. I, the only person I knew, well, the only people I knew were Tara Reed and Jared Leto. Oh, we also have an actor from Dawson's Creek. What was his name? Joshua Jackson, I think is his name. He's the guy that kind of looks like, he just looks like a 90s teenager. He, he does, I don't know how else to describe him. He, he's kind of the pervy friend guy. Yeah, yeah. But I, I remember, like, I, he looked really familiar. I'm like, why do I know that guy? And I, I never watched Dawson's Creek. I was, like, vaguely aware of it. Dawson's Creek, by the way, connection with Scream, that's a series that was created by Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream. Um, so even though very much not a horror movie, or not, not horror-connected, has that, like, teen melodrama kind of thing, which I actually think is one of the underrated things about Scream, that that a lot of people, that the, the Scream ripoffs never quite nail, is, like, how authentic the teenage characters feel in scream mm-hmm. but anyways he i thought he was in dawson's creek and then when he starts up the car and the song that's playing on the radio is that i don't want to wait and it's like <laughs> oh that's that's the dawson's creek theme song i'm like of course yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a fun little nod or or maybe it's obnoxious depending on how you look at it but dawson's creek also i believe started in 98 so that was a, a modern you know relevant reference i suppose the only thing I knew him from was that TV show called The Fringe or Fringe or something. Okay. It was kind of like a sci-fi. I think it was, was like that a J.J. C- Abrams thing. I don't remember. I, don't, I think it starred uh, the uh, King Denethor from, or uh, Stuart oh, Denethor. Oh, okay. From I've, I've, I've seen, I've seen pictures of that guy in Fringe. I didn't realize it was Denethor because I was used to the long hair and yeah, the yeah. cherry tomatoes. Yeah, I was going to say he wasn't eating cherry tomatoes in the show. <laughs> But anyways, Urban Legend, we start with a young woman, Michelle, who's driving around late at night on a windy road, nearly gets in a car accident, ends up stopping at a gas station where there is a creepy gas station attendant, of course. This is Brad Dourif, who we all know from the Child's Play movies. You stupid bitch, you filthy slut! Did you fuck with me? Also from Deadwood and... Um, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He's in that. He was Oscar nominated in that role. Yeah. He plays it perfectly here. He's so creepy and weird. And he's like socially awkward. He stutters. He like can't get his words out very easily. Yeah. But he he seems to be peering into this woman's car. And then after he takes her card to go um, swipe it to have her pay for gas, then he comes back out and asks her to come inside because he says her card's been declined and the card company is on the phone. Mm -hmm. So he takes her inside. She picks up the phone, realizes no one's on the line, and thinks, okay, this is a creepy guy. He's trying to kill me or something. So they fight, and she gets away. But it turns out the reason Brad Dourif was trying to lure her inside and being all creepy-like, I guess this doesn't quite explain the creepiness but he, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just who he is i guess right yeah, that's poor just brad Dourif, yeah he's just stuttering you know he's just a yeah you feel bad for dude. the guy the reason he was trying to get her away from her car was that he noticed that there was someone hiding in the back seat and this is of course the urban legend of i don't know 
Uh, does it have a name? It's just guy uh, uh, hides uh, in uh, your back seat. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, hold on. I have the Wikipedia page open, and they have a list of okay urban legends that were recreated. It's called Killer in the Backseat. That's it. <laughs> Killer in the Backseat. Okay, <laughs> yeah. we couldn't have come up with that ourselves. Know, yeah. Um, the guy gets up and I guess beheads her with his axe. So that's our that's our opening kill. I think it's a pretty good scene. I like the kind of the 180 it pulls with Brad Dourif because yeah. you do I mean he he's he, he's playing it like a cliche, but that's ultimately what works because it's it's a misdirect. Yeah. I'd actually never seen the movie before. I thought it was a great opening. Yeah, it was just uh it was that perfect misdirection, you know. I mean, there's also kind of a lot of that throughout the movie, I guess. Like the parka that we'll get to that it just reminds me of Queens with everybody wearing their Canada Goose jackets, you know. <laughs> okay, that that's something I want to bring up. How many identical jackets do we see? There's at least two. I want to say there's three. I think there's three. I think there's three, but the thing is we never really know what happens to Robert England's one, right? Uh, but Creepy yeah. Janitor has one and the killer has one. We also see one in Robert England's secret yeah. passageway in his office, <laughs> yeah. which is something yeah. that uh, it doesn't really, I don't want to say it doesn't go anywhere, but it's like, I don't know. We'll get to that scene because yeah, this is, <laughs> this is obviously one of those things I've complained about it in the past, but this is one of those movies where let's stick this horror star in this movie because they're known for horror movies. It's almost like I feel like filmmakers just felt that that like gives the film credibility. Like, okay, we're making a 90s horror movie. Like, if we get these actors that will reference 80s horror, we'll be taken more seriously. Mm-hmm. Brad Dourif, obviously, here, and then Robert England is a professor. I, I don't feel like either the actors are just there as cameos. I feel like they both do compelling jobs i mean robert england has yeah. a much bigger role than brad Dourif, and he still doesn't have a huge role they don't feel like they're just thrown in there they feel like they're actually doing something i guess yeah and i guess they're leading the audience away from the truth that's that's really their whole purpose well yeah because you see robert england and you think okay he's a killer like because he's robert <laughs> england and he's freddy and i mean that's kind of yeah. how that works and then brad Dourif, creepy do- <laughs> creepy guy voices a killer doll like yeah it works because you've seen those guys work as villains before. Anyways, so after this opening scene, this is when we meet our main characters. This is at Pendleton University, which is a fictional university somewhere in New England. I think they might have they might say which state, but it's definitely in New England. Not that it matters. But we've got this asshole guy named Parker. We've got Brenda, Natalie, and Paul. Parker, Michael Rosenbaum, I have no idea who he is. He he ends up not being a huge part of the movie. He's he's he doesn't well, he has a fun little scene with Robert England later, I guess, but Yeah. Natalie is Alicia Witt, the attractive redhead. Brenda is Rebecca Gayhart, who I don't think I've seen her in anything. No, no, she's got I mean, I feel like I have seen her in other things, but she just has that face, you know? I guess, yeah. She's got the the brunette curly hair, which maybe she doesn't normally look at that look like that. I click on her Wikipedia page and she's blonde and has very different hair. So I don't know. Maybe I have seen her in something just didn't recognize her. And then we've got everybody's least favorite person, Jared Leto, playing Paul. Paul is a he's like a it's it's weird. It's kind of a weird character because he's like a wannabe journalist 
who like takes his job really seriously, but at the same time, he's a hundred percent a sensationalist. It's kind of weird to, for him to be both. It's like be one thing if he was like dedicated, like a um, uh, with the all the presidents Ben guys. I almost said Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Um, <coughs> Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah, who, who are those guys? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't remember. It's uh, Woodward and Bernstein. There we go. Yeah, so he's like part Woodward and Bernstein and part like National Enquirer, like paparazzi <laughs> almost. It's kind of weird. Yeah. So so this, the scene where we meet these people, they're in like a coffee shop, like a Friends type, Central Perk type location. Mm-hmm. And Parker is telling this story about there was this like massacre at, at a dorm at the university years ago where a professor snapped and just killed a bunch of people. Yeah. And there's um, debate amongst the friends if, if it's even a real story or not, because people are like, well, you know, why wouldn't like why wouldn't that be all over the news and everything? And then, and then there's like, well, well, you know, the university tried to cover it up and stuff. And it's like, yeah, we don't we don't really <laughs> we don't really know. It's just it's one of those urban legend things. You know, you always have that going, um, which how many get a lot of urban legends in this movie obviously this movie makes up its own urban legend for the purpose of the university here but how many urban legends in this movie had you actually heard of because i feel like the majority of them i hadn't heard of and that was kind of disappointing yeah like i'd never heard of the the flashing the high beams one i haven't but i i think i've heard something like that i've heard i've heard like variations on like gang initiation urban legends i've never heard specifically the high beams and then they have the the pop rocks and and soda i hadn't really heard of i was sort of loosely aware of it because i know there's a green day song that's titled like pop rocks and soda pop i think is the name of it or pop rocks and coke maybe is the name of the song mm-hmm. so i didn't really know it was an urban legend but once they talk about it i'm like oh that's what that song references I'm by no means a Green Day fan. I don't even know why I know that. I think maybe I, I, there was like a year in high school when I was kind of a Green Day fan, but the information has not left my brain yet. Nothing to do with an alligator in a sewer, which granted would be hard to duplicate in like a serial killer slasher <laughs> movie, but it, w- it would have been nice to, because I feel like that's that's like the classic urban yeah, legend, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. In fact... And I was looking for this because I saw this on Twitter a few weeks ago where someone had tweeted out like the promotional material for Urban Legend was just awesome. And it was a picture of, I think it was like the three main women. So it was uh, Tara Reid, Alicia Witt, and Rebecca Gayhart all like in a bathroom. And there was like an alligator coming out of the toilet. And I think one of them was trying to <laughs> shove it down with a plunger. There might have been other references to Urban Legends in the image, but I don't know. This was like something... I don't know if this would have been included on, like, the back of the VHS, or it was probably more like a, this was in a, a full-page ad in, like, Variety or something, or, or like, a newspaper. Mm-hmm. But someone pointed out, like, this is just, like, the coolest uh, <laughs> coolest promotional work ever. And and it's, like, it was really cool. It was eye-catching. And, and But I, I, I'm Googling for it, and I can't find it anywhere. So I'm, I'm Googling, like, Urban Legend film alligator urban legend film <laughs> promo so i can't find anything I, I i just want to be clear i did not imagine this it exists somewhere <laughs> okay, okay whatever because the reason i'm bringing this up is i think the urban legend inspired murder spree is a really fun idea i think it's awesome yes yeah i love movies where there's like a, a serial killer 
doing like incredibly weird stupid things but they're all tied together like like theater of blood yeah exactly all shakespeare murders we 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 did that we covered that movie uh, abominable dr fives not as good a movie as theater of blood even though it's pretty much the same thing all biblical plagues inspired murders maybe not as good as shakespeare but still pretty good you know this this so this is like a good effort but uh, i feel like half these ones i hadn't heard of like uh boyfriend hanging on top of the car i i I never heard of that one i mean i'd never heard of that one but like you you do get the variations of the boyfriend leaves to use the washroom and then the girlfriend hears tapping on the car and it's the killer up there with the boyfriend's severed head or something or it's the killer up there okay was trying to stab a knife through the car okay sure yeah i mean like you're right something like alligator in the sewer or like exploding toilets from like methane gas and stuff like that, you know, or like snakes, <laughs> never heard that or one, like snakes okay. coming up through the toilets. Um, well, that's that's not something. an urban legend. That's in Hard Ticket to Hawaii. You're, oh, th- you're just thinking of Andy Sonaris movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, actually, and that happened. I think to, to put a dour note on this, I think two toddlers in like Montreal or something about five or six years ago were killed by a neighbor's python in their apartment complex. It got out of its cage and came through the toilets and eat the kids (laughs) so but then again i mean i'm thinking of like i named the alligator one how many other urban legend type things do i know about and i maybe i just don't know nearly as many as i thought i did yeah well it's it's weird because like i think with urban legends so many things can be considered an urban legend but it's like like that pop rocks and and pop right one you know well and and there's there's a lot of them too with music and i was thinking they do reference the love roller coaster one which i did know about and uh, that that got me thinking like i know so many music ones there's the whole like paul is dead you know beatles stuff it's like but those aren't really like about murdering people so like but, but i feel like most of the ones i know are from those kinds of things like um there's louis louis by the kingsman which will come up later this season because we're doing animal house but that song there's an urban legend or i maybe it won't qualify as an urban legend but there's there's like an instrumental break and you can hear someone kind of like i maybe it's coughing maybe it's yelling like in the background kind of away from the microphone Mm -hmm. and there was like a legend that he was saying the word fuck in that when he's not (laughs) i think he is just coughing but it got picked up by the, by one of the microphones and then that kind of became like oh this is you know this was a number one hit and it like remained a hit i think because people were talking about it and stuff so i don't know but you also get different kinds of urban legends too right like i guess you could count like bigfoot or like mothman bat boy. As, a, as an urban or bat boy <laughs> bat creature whatever he's called yeah, I, yeah. you know what i'm talking about yes absolutely. he's got a statue somewhere there's a bat boy statue somewhere <laughs> or like the uh, uh the jersey devil urban legend right Yes, yeah. There's, um, there's a lot of like local, um, you know, Falk monster, a lot of monster stuff. That's maybe where the the character being a journalist kind of makes sense because it, the some of these are National Enquirer type stories. Yeah. Except he's not really the one. Paul isn't really the one on board with it being a serial killer. I mean, he kind of like he he has the newspaper article, which is like the next scene that says like. Um, was it say maniac or lunatic on campus? I have it written yeah. down. Lunatic on campus with a question mark. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. it's it's like an it's a sensationalist headline, but it's also funny because the woman was driving her car. She was nowhere near the university. I mean, we don't know where she was, but very clearly yeah. it wasn't on campus. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> it's like off in the hills somewhere. 
Goddamn so it's Jared just Leto. like it's and and obviously the university en- ends up pulling that uh newspaper from the stands but i think they had cause because this is a complete bullshit <laughs> it's a of, complete a, fabrication. of a headline <laughs> yeah. yeah i will say before we before we move on two things one the urban legend that i was terrified of the most when i was a kid was eating watermelon seeds and having a watermelon grow on my stomach my mother always told okay. me okay I never, um, I never heard of that one, but that's kind of that kind of ties into the opening scene of Pete Who Eats Straw with Rudy Ray Moore <laughs> when the woman gives birth to a watermelon. Yeah, yeah. So we've got we've got hard ticket to Hawaii. We've got Pete Who Eats Straw. Also, I looked up what other um, films or anything that uh, what is your name Rebecca Gayhart was in. She played Cliff Booth's wife that he murdered in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or he allegedly murdered. That the Brad Pitt oh, killed. Oh, so like a on one scene role yeah. probably then, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, I, I don't even remember that. We did a commentary track for that on our Patreon. <laughs> I, that must be such a small part of the movie, I don't remember. Yeah, I, it's, it's, I, she's I in it vaguely remember seconds. them mentioning like, oh yeah, he might have killed his wife or something, but I don't remember them showing her. Yeah, so a remarkable career for that woman, um, <laughs> I guess. I don't believe she's in the second Urban Legends movie, which is called Urban Legends Final Cut, which I actually I saw that once on Shudder. I actually thought that one was a little bit better than this one. I think maybe I just found the Urban Legends a bit more compelling. Can't really remember the. I, th- I want to say that might have like kind of revolved around snuff films because the you, oh. I mean, we've all heard of snuff films, but the idea of the snuff film itself is an urban legend like there's never been and i mean unless you count like you know the videos of like isis beheading people and stuff like there's never been like a recorded instance of someone being killed on tape and then that tape like making its way into a video store or something like there's never been like a true snuff film like 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 from the ring or something you know there's never been anything like that not that think, that's actually what happens in the ring, but it's it's sort of a the same idea. But yeah, so I want to say that's what Urban Legends, the final cut. Because I just thought of two more or three more, briefly in a scene where they're stand where um, I forget who it is, but they're standing outside of that like dilapidated campus building, and they're trying they're trying to like uh, do the bloody. Oh yeah, the condemned. But that that's I that must be the 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 dorm where the massacre happened. Yes, yeah. Which uh, by yeah. the way, this movie was filmed at the U of T. Did you know that? And, and I saw Hope, I saw too. another university listed, but it was a Canadian university. Yeah, it was one in Port Hope, and then one in and then the U of T. So this is a connection to Black Christmas, then? Yeah, I guess. Oh, I wonder if my dad was an extra in this one too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little too old to play a student in this one, but sure. He uh, could, could be Robert England's stand-in or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. another uh, urban legend, I guess, near the end is uh, uh one of the or the killer i should say talks to another character about harvesting their kidney yeah which i don't know if that's really an urban legend because i'm sure it's actually happened and no then, but I, I think it qualifies though where that's like everyone's like greatest fear of like uh that's like what those hostile movies are all about you yeah. know it's just like that kind <laughs> yeah. of stuff so i think that qualifies that's which that's another one i've heard of the, the last one i can think of off the top of my head is when um Parker the douchey frat boy one. Par- yeah, Parker's the douchey guy that who, who, ends who up... holds the party. Yeah, yeah. His dog. I assume gets... you're talking about his death. No, his dog. Oh, gets the, put yeah, in the, the microwave. The, the microwave. I had never heard of that. So <laughs> when I was a kid, that? when I was a that kid, that might have been my favorite scene in the movie. When I was I had a never kid, heard there was always a story going around about like an old woman who 
she took her dog for a walk in the pouring rain. It was like a toy poodle, and to dry it off, she put it in the microwave, and okay. it exploded. And you mentioned that, but I guess I guess the big urban legend that we haven't mentioned again going back to black christmas is the whole the killers calling from inside the house thing they talk about that as like the babysitter um which you know that that scene is kind of a play on that where he gets a call and he's like oh yeah i'm not babysitting like the whole calling from within the house this isn't a you know this doesn't work and then it's like no this is wrong urban legend this is the one about the lady who microwaves her dog and i'm just like what (laughs) that's an urban legend i never heard that yeah but it's a fantastic scene there's also there's also another urban legend too uh when that goth girl gets yes danielle harris from halloween 4 all grown up looking incredibly sexy in her weird goth kind of thing if you're if you're into goth girls this is this is your heaven. A character for you, I yeah. should say. Also, she. I just want to talk about, she's on like some like goth for goth dating site <laughs> or something. It's it's like really funny to me how is, like, yeah. and it's 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 funny too because Danielle Harris, attractive woman, it's, it's the early days of like internet chatting, you know, chat rooms and maybe internet dating or whatever. But it's like, she's talking to some guy about like, hey, let's hook up or whatever. And it's like, it's funny because Danielle Harris is like, the person who's on that dating site that Danielle Harris is literally the person they're hoping they're talking to. And yet it's going to be a 65 year old man most of the time. So (laughs) I just found that kind of funny. Uh, But yeah, yeah, the Danielle Harris, the, uh, that one was one I had never heard of specifically, but I, maybe I had like kind of heard. So I don't, I don't really remember, but that's one of the better scenes of the movie. I think. Well, that one's more like the killers in the house kind of thing. That's what that reminded me of. And it's set up. I, I like that it was set up. That was pretty, yeah, pretty well done. Yeah, that was a great setup. Returning to the plot and not just <laughs> listing random things and loosely tying this to Black Christmas, a far superior film. Um, so we've got newspaper gets pulled. Paul's like, hey, the, the students deserve to know the truth or whatever. But meanwhile, he's just printed this thing. A lunatic on campus. He has no reason to know that. <laughs> Also, we learned that Natalie was good friends at one point in her life with Michelle, the murdered girl. Natalie, of course, Alicia Witt. She doesn't reveal this to anyone except for literally the last person you would reveal this information to, and that's Damon, who we haven't gotten to yet. <laughs> Damon is played by Joshua Jackson. This is the this is the most 90s-looking person ever. This is it the guy you tips. mentioned. He was, he was on Fringe. This is the Dawson's Creek guy. So they go out for a little drive, the two of them. It's very clearly Damon is, like, going to make a move. And to be fair to Natalie, she recognizes that, and she kind of plays along, but then is just like, you know, what are you doing? Like, leave me alone. They're just parked out in, like, the woods. He leaves the car to go to the bathroom. And then the killer finds him, ties a noose around his neck, hangs him up by the by a tree but also hangs the the or ties the rope to the car so that when she freaks out and she starts the car and she drives forward that's actually what hangs him because he's he's got his feet just barely on the roof of well i guess it's his car i was gonna say her car so he gets killed she gets away and she gets to the campus police officer security woman who i i feel like the movie never really was clear on what exactly her role is yeah she's like security right a lot's changed since 98 american universities (laughs) american university security security is like legitimate police departments in a lot of uh at a lot of universities i don't think they really were in 98 
and I don't think she would have been armed, but she's armed. Not only is she armed, but she's just playing around with her gun watching Foxy Brown, <laughs> uh, which, is, which is kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> this big Pam Greer fan. I can't say I Yeah, it's her. great. <laughs> but yeah, so Natalie goes and gets her help, but Damon's body is gone. The car is gone. Yeah, everything's gone. Yeah, everything's gone. So there's no evidence that there was a killer. And then obviously the friends, because Damon's the practical joker, he's the one who in Robert England's class pretends to die from drinking Pop Rocks and soda. They they always make a point of it being Pepsi. So yeah, Pepsi had to have put some money down for this movie. <laughs> so all the other people are like, okay, he's not actually dead. He's probably just skiing or something. They, they they make a point of saying skiing. Yeah, I don't know all why. the time. And yeah, well, I think maybe because the the jacket we see later is this kind of a ski jacket. I don't know. We don't even know what season it is, <laughs> right? It's, it's true. It, yeah, it's true. it doesn't seem like it's ski no. season, but I mean it's it's ski season somewhere in the world at yeah, all ski times, right? Somewhere. Yeah, but it doesn't look like it's <laughs> ski season anywhere near where these people are. And if this is New England. You're close to, you know, you might be in New Hampshire and Vermont where there's mountains to ski. You're very close to Quebec. If it's that normal looking. Quebec. Well, yeah, because there's <laughs> pythons sneaking out of toilets, murdering children. But <laughs> yeah, that's why. <laughs> but yeah, you know, so I, I just I, I don't buy it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't buy the skiing. I don't. <laughs> um, anyways. OK, so then we have. So so we meet Natalie's roommate, who is. Uh, like I said, Danielle Harris. Her name is Tosh. Her last name is Point O, maybe. I don't know. But she's... <laughs> Tasha um, Yar. <laughs> yeah, so Lieutenant Tasha Yar. <laughs> like Lieutenant Tasha Yar, she dies relatively early, although not <laughs> due to a big shit blob, but due to the killer. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. so she she's very goth. She's like smoking in the dorm room, which maybe you could do that in 98, probably not. But, I mean, she's like a re- rebel, so I'm, I'm not, like, saying that as a mistake. She's like, like Johnny Yuma, the true rebel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and, um, yeah, so she's so when Natalie first comes home, she is having sex, and she tells her, like, oh, turn the light off, because uh, Natalie, the second she enters, turns the light on. So that's what the setup is, because eventually when she gets killed in her dorm room, that's when Natalie comes home, and she's she hears moaning. Because the killer is covering Tosh's, you know, mouth and nose and stuff. So she hears moaning. So she assumes it's sex. And so she's about to reach to turn the light on, but then realizes she better not. And I think she says sorry. And then she goes to bed and she wakes up. And Danielle Harris is killed. And her wrists have been slit. And there is a message on the mirror or the wall or something that says, aren't you glad you didn't turn the lights on? And this is ruled a suicide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, who knows? This this scene was actually set up in two ways because like I mentioned this was an urban legend I wasn't too familiar with, but in the scene in the library where Natalie is going through the book on urban legends and she's joined by Sasha, Tara Reed, and they're going through they they like flip through something and there was something about like a dead roommate and and there was like some message written oh, on, yeah, on the wall, right. so that yeah. kind of got it in my head, and it's like, okay, we're setting that up. So there's a well well done scene. Again, everyone says it's a suicide, except for Natalie. Obviously, thinks it's murder. Paul believes her, and this is when Paul 
says that they need to find out more about the whatever dorm massacre in 1976-78, whenever that was, that eventually takes their investigation into Robert England's office. Robert England plays Professor William Wexler. Sounds like a sounds like a Marvel sounds like a Marvel guy. Yeah, the superheroes are big on alliteration, right? Bruce Banner, um, Clark Kent, Clark Kent, Peter Parker is another. Yeah, Peter, one. Parker, Peter Parker. There's one. Sure. Virtually everyone listening to this knows superheroes better than Jonah I do. J. Jameson. I, J, yeah, J. Jonah, J. Jonah Jameson, right? Oh, that is, is that it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think it's J. Jonah. I don't know. I don't know this shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fuck you, DC and Marvel. Doctor Doom, does that count? Do villains count? Green Goblin. <laughs> just like anyone can be, if you just throw an adjective in front of them, obviously anyone can be. Um, so Robert England is not in his office, and the two are just like going around, and they're trying to find out. They're trying to find information on this massacre from him for whatever reason. I guess they think he was like the only one who was at the university when it happened. Even though we see that the dean is about ninety-five years old, no, they the, don't when, directly ask him. When they go to the library to find information, the creepy janitor says, "Talk to Wesley." That's later in the movie. Oh, are you sure? Because yeah, he slips he slips him some a newspaper clipping that says that he was the only survivor. But at this point, they don't know that. Oh. Um, he he that's right before the party. Oh, so okay. I don't know why they're in Robert England's office, other than maybe they're hoping to get you know a Nightmare on Elm Street three poster signed maybe or something. But they stumble upon a secret room, <laughs> <laughs> and the secret room. Has an axe in it, has the jacket in it, which the jacket we've seen, the you called it a parka yeah. earlier, right? Yeah. Which And that's the jump scare. First of all, this movie, big on false jump scares, a lot of like turning around and someone bumps into you and there's like that loud musical sting, but then it's just like, oh, hey, sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. It's a lot of stuff like that. It's the Halloween H2O effect, I call it. <laughs> but this one, big, big false jump scare at the sight of the coat. And she didn't talk about the coat. She never mentioned that this is the coat that she saw. Yeah. It was very weird to me. Because they obviously focus on the axe. When they're eventually caught, then they're talking to the dean. And she's like, well, we found an axe in his room. And he says that's like a prop axe that he uses in his classes. So, yeah, because he teaches on urban legends or something. Yeah. Which, Which, I mean, I think that'd be a fun I'm in the wrong field. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in the wrong field. If I can just pull axes on students and stuff, that'd be a great, great uh, fun thing to do. But you're, but but you're totally right about like why she didn't bring the code up. And it's like, that's the that's like the most damning piece of evidence right there. <laughs> it's this dumb green parka. It would be nice to see that she acknowledges at least it, it at least. I, I don't need her. I guess maybe because this could get Paul on her side because of it, because this is the scene where Paul stops kind of listening to her because it's mentioned that she had some kind of legal trouble yeah. in the past. And then so Paul no longer trusts her or isn't sure if he should trust her. Yeah. Because I understand her bringing up the jacket doesn't mean anything to, to anybody else, really, any any of the authority figures, the uh, Pam Greer wannabe or the dean or Professor Kruger, because they didn't see, like, because when... 
they went to see where Damon was killed. Like there's no, there was nothing there. So no one saw the jacket but her. But yeah, I don't know. Paul gets fired from his newspaper job. It's mentioned that, what was it? Not Oh, she had um, probation. She had probation for like reckless, reckless endangerment, endangerment or something. Yeah. yeah. And, and then this is where we get the story. She's explaining it to her friend Brenda, again, Rebecca Gayhart, and she reveals that the whole, the, the urban legend about the, what headlights off and then you put the high beams on and that's, what, is that, that's who the gang takes out? I think that's, yeah, isn't like, that the yeah, urban I, legend? I guess so. I've never heard of it. Right. But, I mean, they explain it. But, so what they did was they were, <laughs> right. they were, they were messing around, driving around without headlights on and then a car came by flashed them to like tell them to get their headlights on and then they just followed him and ended up forcing him off the road they made a point in mentioning that he was their age he was like in high school and that that was when i'm like oh yeah i I see where this is going then (laughs) because otherwise why isn't it a 40 year old guy you know (laughs) it could be anybody (laughs) yeah but but yeah so he ended up getting killed and it was michelle and natalie that were michelle drove and then this this whole instance natalie felt awful she said she couldn't really forgive herself and that's what ended up that's why she and michelle didn't stay on as friends which is understandable yeah yeah i mean yeah (laughs) i get it uh so eventually we have the party the party is on the anniversary of that that dorm massacre thing and this is when you mentioned the creepy janitor slips Paul, the newspaper article that makes it clear that Professor Wexler was the only survivor of the dorm massacre, which is mm-hmm. hard to believe, quite frankly. How many people live in a dorm? I mean, let's just think about oh. it. If there's if there's five people living in a dorm, only one person survives. Sure, but it's a dorm. There's dozens and dozens of people. This professor literally killed like 60, 70 people probably, and it just it only made this one newspaper. <laughs> and they just forgot one. Yeah. So so he reasons that, okay, they um, Wexler was given a job for life in order to be quiet about this. And, and maybe this explains why he pulls axes on students. This guy did not get his PhD. He's just messing around at the, at the school. <laughs> He's completely unqualified to teach. That's that's why there's a class on urban legends, because he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. That's great. This is all making sense to me now. Well, actually, he's like, here, kids, this is how you swing an axe. I've seen it in person. And meanwhile, the the dean gets killed. He gets so uh, this is a fun little um, scene. He gets he specifically checks his back seat before he gets into the car, but then he can't end up getting into the car because he gets like his ankle slashed because the person's hiding underneath the car. And then he's he's scrambling to get away as the car starts and runs him over into the spikes, like at this parking garage. Which that was pretty cool. That was uh, that's that's my favorite kill. Yeah, it's probably mine too. It's always more fun when there's an eighty year old man getting killed too, because there's like a little <laughs> bit of like a, this is just kind of funny. You don't normally see this. Best kill was Dean Jagger. That's still my favorite. Of for course, old men. from Game of yeah. Death, when a ninety-five-year-old dummy gets thrown off the roof of a building as a fake Bruce Lee <laughs> is chasing him. So then, Pam Greer cop uh, notices that Professor Wexler's door is open. She goes in there, finds blood, and the room's been like trashed, but she doesn't find a body. So at this point. 
Robert England's probably dead, or maybe he's the killer. Those are kind of the only options, right? Well, no, I was actually watching this movie with my girlfriend, and uh, she goes, oh my god. She said, but he could, but Robert England can't be the killer. I said, well, I said, it would be a twist if he was at this point. <laughs> well, you mean because it was so obvious that he was a red herring? Yeah. So, and this is the um, the party where Paul tries to shut down the party, but then the other asshole, Parker. But he, he then makes the public accusation of like, oh, I bet this is exactly what you want to do to have a, a journalism career, you know, kill a bunch of people and then write about it, which is kind of wild for like a, a college <laughs> yeah. student. Like, <laughs> I need to launch my journalism career. I'm going to win a, a Pulitzer by killing people and then writing about the i don't know it's i understand why it's brought up but it's just kind of funny to me and well the, i i also want to point out that he says this at a point in the movie after he's given his dog a, a like a, a beer funnel his little that's right yeah the dog west highland terrier yeah i was gonna say i think it's a westie yeah we already mentioned the dog gets microwaved it's a glorious moment <laughs> and i love westies poor guy this is also the scene where uh, Parker then goes up to throw up in his bathroom where he is assaulted. And they do, it, it's supposed to be a reference to the Pop Rocks and Coke thing, but they go Pop Rocks and like Drano so that yeah. it would actually kill him because obviously we've established that Pop Rocks and, excuse me, Pepsi, I think I said Coke earlier, Pepsi clearly <laughs> the paying sponsor in this film. So that ends up killing him. I uh, really hated the way this scene was edited it was just kind of stroby and just unpleasant to watch it's also a lot of it is shot from overhead which i think could be interesting but it's just i I don't know i just didn't like the scene that much yeah it it all just like looks a little too cramped or something if that makes sense like it's just um it's a it's a bathroom in a in a in a like a well it's not a dorm room it's a um fraternity house so yeah this bathroom is probably an awful bathroom so that yeah, makes I mean, sense, it, it, but yeah, you're right. You you want <laughs> you want to be working with a bigger space for a movie, I think. Yeah, well, and, and then even um, when the funnel was shoved down his throat, I was it, it took me a second to figure out what was going on and what was being poured. Like it's almost like it just happened a little too quickly. If we had just lingered on the Drano for maybe like one more second, I didn't. I didn't have a problem with the Drano. I was just more just like getting a headache from just the editing, the strobing. <laughs> I, I, I could tell it was Drano. They had a, it was it was a brief shot, but it was like a close up of the bottle, and it's like okay, I see what they're doing. Anyways, at this point, Tosh, who I don't think we've mentioned, is a like a shock jock radio host for a college radio station where they talk about oddly sexual things I, I i don't think this would be on a college radio station but i don't know i went to a religious university <laughs> for undergrad so maybe i and for my master's so maybe i don't have the best sense of this thing but no she's she has like people calling in who like say their dick is stuck in their girlfriend or and stuff it's like okay this is a little bit of a weird because i think she's just they're, <laughs> they're trying to squeeze like more urban legend kinds of things in there but eventually yeah. she is attacked while she's live on the air and this is sort of like a what we mentioned with their love roller coaster, like they where it sounds like they're doing a bit, but no, she's actually getting killed. Scene goes on for a long time, but it's a pretty good scene. She's running for her life around the completely empty, not even just studio. It's the entire building's empty, which is crazy because this is a, clearly a big, like university building. It's a multi-purpose building. It's not just the radio station in there. 
Yeah, well, also, also too, like, I thought, I, I got confused. I thought the party and everything, like, I thought the reason everything was empty because it was Halloween. But that's not it. It's the massacre's 25th anniversary, yes. right? So there's literally no reason for all the, like, campus buildings to be shut. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it is evening. There are certain buildings where, like, yeah, stuff will be closed. But I'm thinking, like, at, at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, you know, you have that one building... I was going to say you have that one building that has a Tim Hortons in it. No, I think this is one of the few buildings that doesn't have a Tim Hortons in it. But the building, oh, it's the it's the building where the the pub is, the J Duck. Yeah, sure. This this building yeah. reminded me of that, where it's it's multi use. There's like a there's a couple administrative offices in there. There's a bar. There's um, mm-hmm. I I'm sure some of those things would be closed. But you're going to have a late night coffee shop that's open there or something, probably, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. Seems weird, but I'll allow it. At any rate, Tosh gets killed just as Natalie enters the building. Natalie actually, or Tosh actually works her way back up to the radio station after at one point kind of like chasing, being chased down the stairs, kind of falling. And she got back in the elevator, went up, uh, just some questionable escape route tactics here but i'll allow it like you but the killer waves the killer of course wearing this uh jacket waves kind of creepily at natalie when she sees her so (laughs) yeah natalie brenda and paul all gang up to go somewhere at this point like the power is out the phones aren't working also it's completely missed this part because it's really not a big part of the movie but brenda makes a point of saying that she really thinks paul is hot and then paul and natalie make out for like one second at the party and then so brenda's really upset so that's why brenda hasn't been in the picture recently yeah i brenda's got the hots for jared leto i guess you know that's good for her unfortunately Uh, Yeah, and it means you're getting used condoms sent in the mail if you appear in another movie with him. That's what that means. Um, (laughs) Uh, What a freak. Yeah, so the three of them, they they drive over to a gas station. There are multiple comments made about how awful smelling the car is. And when Jared Leto gets into the gas station to use the phone, uh, the two women check the back seat and find that Professor Robert England is there dead. So they both take off running. You know, Jared Leto sees what they're doing, so he chases after them. But Jared Leto, obviously he's been framed. I shouldn't say obviously, but I think most people watching would probably figure that out before the characters do. The The two women get split up, and Natalie gets picked up by the creepy janitor. He's back. And he picks her up. He says, she says she's being chased. And then she notices that there's that parka in the back seat of his truck. So she's so she wants to get out of the car. And there was a sale at Giant Tiger on coats one day because everybody went. Well, yeah. well, okay. So this is the thing. So we've got three parkas. Killer has the parka. Robert England has the parka in the secret office area, and creepy janitor has the parka. Or are a couple of those parkas the same parka? Because this creepy janitor guy could have just stolen it from Robert England's office. I think that's a possibility. He seems like the type, right? Or are all three parkas the exact same parka due to budgetary constraints? Well, sure. But we're not. We're talking in the reality <laughs> No, I, I agree, here. though, yeah. But because there's <laughs> yeah. also, like, because yeah, I, I want to say when Pam Greercop gets into Robert England's office when it's been trashed, 
I know the axe is gone. They make a point of showing that. I think the park park is gone too, right? Uh, maybe I don't know. So, Ooh. could have been. Maybe that was the killer's parka. Uh, so maybe they placed it there to kind of implicate, but that didn't do anything because Natalie didn't even mention the jacket. Or maybe the yeah. the creepy janitor guy stole it because again he's the one wandering around the buildings late at night. That guy's definitely stolen something in his career. You can just tell. At any rate, creepy janitor and Natalie. Natalie's trying to get out of the car at this point, but then they encounter a car without its headlights on. And then she's like, oh, wait, no, that's the killer. That's him. And they get run off the road. Does the janitor die? Yeah. Does he? he okay. Does, yeah. I, mean, I, I believe so. Natalie's is still alive. She's out on foot now. She gets back to the university. She uses one of those emergency call points to try and call the police, but the <laughs> police are overwhelmed yeah. because... Well, I guess because they only have Pam Greer working for them. But if it were real Pam Greer, she could have taken care of this. But uh, they, they do have a couple lines about how prank phone calls are off the hook on this particular day because the urban legend, because Paul couldn't get through to the police when he tried to call earlier. And then also it's because the uh, Pam Greer cop hears Tasha's radio show when she's screaming when she's in her car and she tries to call the actual police and, and like, Apparently it runs busy or something. So, you got, I mean, university with one campus security person, though. I mean, it's a little, little dicey. Uh, we all know American <laughs> universities are moving towards militarized, not just police, but militarized campus police. Even so, I don't know about this. Yeah, but small private again, armies. <laughs> this is a Canadian university. They're shooting hats, so maybe it's a little different there. <laughs> got a factor in that. Natalie hears some screaming notices lights on upstairs in the condemned dorm building and she gets in there this is when she finds a bunch of dead bodies basically every dead body that we haven't seen yet so we find damon uh who else the dean the dean yes yes because we've already seen robert england so it's not him oh and uh parker parker must be the other one which i don't know how the killer snuck parker's body out of a party that was pretty crowded and busy at the time but it happened well i also don't know how the killer put a dog in a microwave during <laughs> a really busy party also fair also fair <laughs> yeah there's a lot of questions about that party raises more questions than answers <laughs> but upstairs in this one building that has lights on this is or this one room in the building that has lights on it's got candles and stuff like that and she sees michelle lying in bed and thinks Michelle's dead but no actually Michelle's alive and she knocks out Natalie because Michelle is the killer couple things here dun, dun, dun. a you knew where the ending was coming from you knew like okay it's because they killed a high school student accidentally that it was going to be connected in some way with the killer yes it was her boyfriend slash fiance they were basically engaged but he couldn't afford a ring she does use the word boyfriend, but they also said that she also said they were going to get married that summer. The other thing here is I am a fan of the television series Psych. I don't believe you've watched anything from it. No, I haven't seen anything. Okay, there is a um, an episode in the first season that has a shocking amount of similarities to, to, to this premise or just to this episode to this movie. I guess it was the first episode written by James. Rode Rodriguez, who at the time only went by James Rode, he has since adopted his real last name as part of his stage name, 
who he's a big horror fan, by the way, and I've learned that through commentary tracks and stuff like that, podcasts. But the the first episode he wrote was like a uh, it was like a horror inspired episode of that like a sorority house but the whole thing was there was like an urban legend of a woman jumping to her death that ended up getting played out in the future 20 years later and that like had something to do with a woman getting killed and then this was like a little bit of an urban legend thing but then also just the entire climax of that episode is rushing into a condemned building where the bad thing happened years ago and the entire upstairs is covered in candles, and the killer uh, <laughs> attacks the person with an axe. It's the exact same thing. Now, this movie came out first, <laughs> so it was James Rode Rodriguez maybe a little lazy in his first writing effort for the series? Possibly. I don't know. I, I, I'm certain I saw that episode before I ever saw this movie. But just for you for you psychos out there, um, this is a good, good episode. That's what, they call, that's what they call themselves. Um, yeah, I believe you. Yeah. So, Brenda believes that she can do all this killing and everything and then that she can still get Paul as her boyfriend. Then Paul emerges and says as much. He's like, hey, let me help you finish this up. I can set up my journalist career and we can live happily ever after. But she sees, obviously, that he's lying. Pam Gurkop shows up gets shot but still survives and then there's eventually a struggle all four people involved where brenda gets shot and falls out the second or third story window it's relatively high up wherever it is all the three heroes are all alive they leave there's never an acknowledgement of like oh hey it's weird that the body wasn't outside of the window where we thought she would be but yeah because then we get the scene where Paul and Natalie are driving, and it turns out the that Brenda, with an axe, is hiding in the back seat, so they struggle. And then Paul goes full Matthew Broderick, crashes the car, <laughs> and sends Brenda flying out the windshield, of course, into a river, oh, presumably no. to her death. But in the final scene, we see a variation on this story being told at another university where no with one believes really it. Really ugly people, by the way. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't remember the specifics, but they were not the best looking people. But yeah, so people are all sharing the story. <laughs> no one believes it except for the woman sitting down at the end of the couch who we can tell is Brenda, even though her hair is a bit different. And she's like, I believe you, but it was actually a little bit different. And that's how the movie ends. And she's like, presumably about to tell the real story and presumably about to go on another murder rampage which we will have to save for Urban Legends, the final cut, which I don't think included her character at all. So maybe we'll never <laughs> see it. Jim, what did you think of Jamie Blanks's Urban Legend? I thought it was a really fun movie. It was the first time I'd seen it. Uh, I always love a slasher movie with a gimmick or where the murderer, where the killer has... has uh, I, do, I, do lo- I do love me some gimmick. gimmick gimmick-heavy slasher. That's, that's the thing. Whether it's a holiday, whether it's a dumb way that the, someone kills someone yeah that is it's a <laughs> personal favorite of mine as well and also i really like the kills again i think my favorite was the dean but even then but even like the side kills like the dog in the microwave dean was good microwave pooch was great the hanging was a little lackluster but it was but it was nice it was neat to see you know yeah what else oh yeah what was her name tosh getting strangled that was great uh, i thought that was a fantastic scene okay 
like a genuinely terrifying scene as well. Again, I was watching it with my girlfriend and she goes, oh my God, could you imagine? Oh, that'd be terrible. Oh my God. <laughs> so clearly she was disturbed by that. But yeah, I just really, really enjoyed the movie. I have a feeling uh, Daniel a Harris is into being choked though. Just, you know, throwing that out there, but I don't know that for a fact. <laughs> I have listened to a little bit it. of her. I have listened to a little bit of her podcast, and they do discuss sexual kinks fairly frequently. So it's possible it's come up. Yeah. So you so you like the movie? Yes. Yeah. So how about you? I assume you liked it. Not that much. I I don't hate it or anything. It's just it's just not my type of movie. I don't I don't like the '90s slashers for the most part. Like I do think Scream is a legitimately great movie. And I, I guess I'm talking the post-Scream 90s movies, 90s slashes, because Candy, Candyman's before all that, Wes mm-hmm. Craven's New Nightmare's before Scream. Like, those are great movies. But I'm not really sure why this doesn't work for me so much. I think, I don't know. I mean, I, the kills are fine. You mentioned a couple that are pretty good. I think the Dean one was great. Tosh scene was a very effective scene. I thought the Sasha scene, the Tara Reid death, was pretty effective. Yeah. Those yeah, are only really yeah. the, those are kind of the only scenes that st- stood out to me for the most part. The characters, I didn't love. Damon was obnoxious, They even though they kill him off fairly early. I don't know. It just didn't work as much for me as I would hope it would. I think the um, characters are a big problem. Natalie not really bringing up the coat thing and not really making an effort to convince Paul of anything. But then Paul eventually comes back to her after doubting her. And then they, they throw in a thing where she doubts him at the end because after he says the phones are dead, she picks up the phone to make sure that he's yeah. telling the truth. And it's like, I, I don't know. The Paul, the Paul and Natalie stuff didn't work too well for me. The Brenda being into Paul was seems like it was thrown in like last second. Like that was like not part of the movie basically. And it's like it didn't have a huge impact, but... I, I don't know how I'd feel about this movie if I was to, let's say, rewatch it a year from now. I think one of the most exciting things for me about this movie... Well, at that point, reason, we'll be at war with the machines. I think other than the gimmick, the enjoyment that I got out of the movie really stemmed from... The the, the gimmick, uh, for let's let's be clear, first of all, the gimmick being the urban legend-inspired murders. Yes, the, yeah, the premise, yeah. really, of the movie. I got my enjoyment out of the twists and turns, or I should say the curveballs that the plot was throwing at you, especially okay. from the very beginning with like Brad Dourif and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, well, and that's another thing I didn't point out. I, I know we talked about this earlier, but that was a standout scene. The kill itself, not fantastic, but it was just a good scene overall with Brad Dourif. Well, and, and I think Brad Dourif, I mean, he just did a fantastic job. Absolutely. You know, he just, he was so believable. I don't know if I'd like it as much as I did. But I really enjoyed it, probably because it's the first time I ever saw it. There's something about this era of slasher movies that just doesn't work for me. I, I don't know what it is. And again, Scream is great. But it's something about, like, they're trying to be, like, young and hip and kind yeah, of tongue-in-cheek like and, and referring hip, yeah. to all these <laughs> other things. And it's just like, and then it's like the fashion, which, uh, the fashion didn't strike me as too awful in this movie. It's worse in Final Destination. That was, like, embarrassing what people were wearing in that movie. But, uh, like, I think it was mostly Damon's face. I just couldn't stand looking at that guy. (laughs) I I don't know. It's just, um, yeah, it's just not my favorite type of slasher movie, I guess. I mean, like, it's not awful. You know, I'll probably end up seeing this movie again, but wouldn't go out of my way to see it again, I suppose. 
But let's move on to a movie that we both enjoyed. Forbidden Planet, I mean world. Yeah, so Forbidden World was released, I believe, 1982, directed by Alan Holtzman. I've never heard of this person. Yeah, yeah, it's a big, big star. Yeah, story. Uh, or Wynorski's writing on the story. Wynorski exactly, Wynorski. Yeah. Which we, we've seen some Wynorski scripts before. He wrote Screwballs. He co-wrote Screwballs with the woman whose name escapes me who played Bootsy Goodhead in that movie, so... Yeah, and it's uh. <laughs> awful. Let's not use not that. Not the best one track as, as record of Wynorski scripts in in this podcast. This one's a little bit better. Yeah, actually, it is. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> not a like, great, not a great script, but it's better than Screwballs. Yeah, Screwballs and, uh, still perhaps unanimously the worst movie we've seen on the podcast. I would say Spooky's a little worse, but I mean it's definitely up there. Oh, dude, I would put Screwballs at the very bottom, and Spooky's one step up. <laughs> no, you like you've seen Spookies like five times. This movie, I love Spookies. You've brought friends over to your man. house to watch Spookies. So you don't you don't have a right to talk about how bad Spookies is because you like it. That's true. I do. Well, I also well yeah. Even episode one, what was it? Um, Hush yeah, and Killer, Killer, Killer Workout. Workout. I love Killer far Workout. More, Killer Workout's a far more entertaining movie than than Screwballs and Spookies. And Deathstalker, I would even say, which you like. Oh, Deathstalker, you take that back. Deathstalker is great. Anyways, no Killer Workout. That soundtrack, man. Yeah, all the pelvic thrusting. I don't know what has more pelvic thrusting. This, Forbidden World, Deathstalker, or Killer Workout. But well, I how much, what, when workout. is the pelvic thrusting in Forbidden World? There's a sex scene. It goes on for about two minutes. How much of it was truly of the pelvic thrust variety, I guess, is my <laughs> question. I know there's a sex scene. There's also, we have a setup for what could be potentially the sexiest lesbian scene in outer space history, but it, we don't quite go there. It yeah. looks like we're setting up for it. <laughs> yeah, and now do you think that was, uh, I mean, because this movie was also produced by Roger Corman. God bless him. Yeah, God God bless him. I was going to say, do you think Do you think he was sitting there at like, the table? He's like, where's the sexy space lesbian sex scene? <laughs> I think they did exactly what Roger Corman wanted them to do. I don't, I don't feel like Roger Corman movies, I'm sure there's exceptions. I don't feel like I've seen a lot where there's like, lesbian scenes like the important thing is to have women naked and we when we got the base covered for this movie <laughs> happens yeah. numerous times there's one sex scene that's i don't want to say edited around but they go back and forth between someone watching it i guess on the security yeah. camera or something and then we get a scene of someone nakedly tanning or like in a sauna yes and then we get two naked women you want to say it's like a shower scene, except it's not. I think they're in like some de-radiation chamber or something because there's like those yeah. flashing lights. It's very yeah. weird, but it's I kind of like it. I know I, we we hit our naked women quota in this movie. It's two <laughs> very very attractive women. Yeah, one of whom is British. Is that Jean yes. Chadwick? Her name, the the actress. Yeah. Well, funny enough, the other one who's not British, uh, Dawn Tracy. Dunlap. Yeah. I'll just say she's got like the perfect girl next door look she's she's awesome she does she's yeah just like looks forbidden world originally titled mutant which one of the most been... misleading posters in the yes, world that yeah. does not look a thing like the creature that we have in the movie no and its name suggests that there's a world that's forbidden when really there's like a laboratory on a well world you're just you're just splitting forbidden. hairs at that point but i will say i will say the title Makes it sound like more of a sci-fi adventure it or does. a fantasy yeah. adventure than a horror movie. I will say that. Galaxy yeah, I mean, of Terror, 
you know, that screams sci-fi horror. Like, that title could have worked here, but... Yeah, I mean, if they had called it, like, Protein B Mutant or whatever, I mean, I don't think it would have well, been as catchy you, as... you gotta spice it up a little bit, you know. This movie, believe it or not, panned by critics, but was nominated for Best Low Budget Film, Best Makeup, and Best Special Effects at the 83 Saturn Awards. Okay. Saturn is, like, the uh, science fiction fantasy yes. awards. Yeah, maybe horror even, too. It's neat that they have a specific low-budget kit. Like, that's good. That's good to hear. Well, I guess this comes out the same year as E.T. Like, okay, you know, you can't really throw this and E.T. in the science fiction best picture category together, but (laughs) if you have a low-budget and a high-budget category, sure. This movie famously has a bunch of, like, takeout containers glued to the wall. (laughs) Well, yeah, because it's the same same recycled sets as Galaxy of Terror. (laughs) Galaxy of Terror, I believe, came out first. But yes, I did. I think famously, year before, two years before, the sets were at least partially designed by James Cameron. James Cameron. But this is a classic Roger Corman thing. Recycle as many sets as you can. If you built sci-fi spaceship sets, why shoot one movie there when you can shoot three or four? You know, it's just that's uh, God bless him. Roger Corman is just the master of that him. kind of stuff. Well, I guess to get into it. Earlier, we called this movie a ripoff of Alien, and it is. But right off the bat, we see that it's a ripoff of kind of <laughs> of several sci-fi franchises. Well, just the opening scene, because there's there's for no reason there's a starfight. There's like a space space laser, or not laser, but yeah, spaceship fight, which yeah. has nothing to do with anything in the movie. Otherwise, yes. <laughs> I watched that scene and I thought, like, wait, have I not seen this movie before? Because I thought this was like a <laughs> a random alien monster run amok movie and like those movies usually don't start with something like this but (laughs) yeah so you have this kind of well then also too the uh the the android sam it's got like a stormtrooper-esque helmet i don't know if i agree with that well how about you might be able to agree with this one we see sam the robot like like i don't know like moving some stuff around and they're like little glass slides Okay. Which you see in like Star Trek, the next generation a lot when they're like <laughs> fixing engines and stuff like they pull out glass slides, you know what I'm talking about? Sure. That's like the cool futuristic thing. Sam the robot underutilized. Very underutilized. Yeah, I they like you really thought, I mean, it's clearly just a person in a robot costume, which is great. I'm all for that. <laughs> we loved Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity on this podcast, but <laughs> yeah. I just, I felt like the alien or the robot needed more screen time. They could have easily, because they don't really care if the robot dies or not or you know becomes deactivated or whatever they could have just dangled this thing out as like bait or used it you know yeah yeah i don't know they could have used it better the film could have used it better the characters could have used the robot better yeah yeah exactly i agree well yeah so i guess let's get into it mike colby he's like a military officer of some kind working for i don't know the government of earth i you know, i don't know I think they use the word federation at one point. Oh, they do. You're right. <laughs> but only like <laughs> once and possibly coincidentally. Possibly Maybe, like yeah. they didn't even realize that was the Star Trek thing. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to imagine that they did. They're like, wow, federation? <laughs> Somebody else uses that term? So Colby's woken up by Sam because they're getting into a space dogfight with these ships, uh, which they blast out of the sky. And Sam says, hey, we can't go home yet. You were supposed to be going home. We have to go to this planet called what is it? It's it's Xarbia, I think. Yeah, something uh, like for that. yeah for for like with this one final mission, then you can go home. And he's been in space so long that his son is now older than he is. Apparently, back on Earth. Oh yeah, they have a line like that. I like that. I, I like that. 
So they get to Zarbia pretty much immediately. Colby's briefed on the situation and also immediately turns Sam off and like leaves him by the entrance <laughs> to the to the lab. <laughs> but the situation is that there's this lab-grown experiment that they call Subject 20. It's gone wild and it's killed all of these lab animals in the genetics lab. And it's cocooned itself kind of within this incubator. I like that scene where they're, they're just, uh, I don't remember which character it was, but the guy's just like cleaning out all the like dead dogs and stuff like that. There's <laughs> yeah. just something kind of neat about that. Also, yeah. I want to count on because this is when I really noticed the score. Almost kind of synthy, almost a little John Carpenter-ish. Yeah, but yeah. I, I would actually say this is kind of like a prog rock score overall. You know what I mean? It reminded me a little bit mm-hmm. of like Goblin. I mean, it's not as good as that, but I like the score. It, it kind of fit the movie in a way. Yeah, I forget who did the score, but that was one Susan thing. Susan critics... Justin is the name, who does not have a Wikipedia page, but I'm just on the Wikipedia for this movie right now. So, Well, that was one thing the critics and the audience liked about the movie. Yeah, so the thing's made itself a cocoon in an incubator. Colby wants to get rid of it. Like, he's like, I've seen, I've seen shit happen like this before. We're just gonna, we just gotta get rid of this. It's gonna be trouble. The other issue, though, with this thing is that it mutates rapidly, hence I guess the name Mutant. And it makes the life form unpredictable and dangerous. And then we later learn that it's made up of, what is it, Proto-B or something? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like this rapidly growing gene that was supposed to help food grow faster. Yeah, it was basically a GMO. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because apparently the galaxy is in the middle of like a food crisis, so they needed something to beef up. Or at least somewhere uh, in the galaxy is, you know, who knows. Yeah, sure. Someone's starving somewhere. Ireland needs some goddamn help, but again, I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, so this this creature was created by splicing Proto-B with human cells, but the crew doesn't really want to talk about whose cells or what happened. Right. There's some, some, like, they ask, ask him about... What was her name? Was it Jesse? Annie. Annie. Yeah. But then they don't really give a straight answer about Annie. Yeah, yeah, they're just like, oh, she died. Well, how'd she die? Well, she well, just also, died. Also, there was, hang on, this is, this ends up being completely unimportant, but there was an instance, it was a little bit later in the movie, where someone, I don't remember which character, is going around, oh, it's, whatever Jimmy. character. No, no, Earl, is, that's his it, name is watching them have sex on the screen because he's jealous, I guess, right? Yeah. He gets into Annie's locker, takes like a, was it a ring or like an a earring? Necklace. And places it in the other guy's locker, I guess just to like make it look like he was having an affair. But at the same time, this, does this work with a dead girl? Well, I don't know. I think, <laughs> I think he was putting it... I think he was putting it in his own locker because when he oh was he, he I thought I thought locker, it was the other guy okay when he opened the locker there was a photo of him and the blonde woman together yeah and I guess and that's why he was jealous of of Colby oh, and the okay. blonde woman having sex I guess that also was the, the photo and I th- I think I don't think this is the same photo I think this is earlier in her bedroom but the photo of the two of them looked like like a porno photo like it didn't look like a, a smiling happy couple photo it looked like i don't know yeah. it just it just looked weird it didn't yeah. look like like oh we're just enjoying ourselves we're just on vacation it looked like no honey i need my hands here so we can't tell that you're topless kind of photo yeah. it looked like one of those <laughs> yeah uh it's like an invitation to like a swingers party that's what i would send out on one of those things 
Yeah. Yeah, so the scientist running the place is a guy named Dr. Hauser. And he says to Colby, he's like, Doogie. look, don't kill this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Dr. Doogie. But uh, Dr. Doogie, he says, look, let's have some dinner. Let's leave the creature for now. Come back to it tomorrow. I want to see what it does. So Colby agrees, and they leave uh, this other fella, Jimmy, in charge. Dr. Hauser's like, you know, if the creature starts doing anything weird, contact me. So Jimmy's back in the lab cleaning up all the dead animals and stuff, and the cocoon starts moving. Just as the crew sits down, the cocoon cracks, and Jimmy's attacked by, like, this little black blob of tar-looking stuff. Kind of like the tar monster from Star Trek. A little bit. I was going to say, like, kind of the stuff a little bit. Oh, yeah, there you go, yeah. The blob stabs him in the jugular or something, <laughs> and Jimmy kind of falls around the room. <laughs> and in this one scene, you can see him. <laughs> I don't know if you caught this, Patrick, but he's just pounding his fists on, like, a table, breaking all of the, <laughs> all of, like, the sugar glass. <laughs> <laughs> just maybe laugh a bit. The crew's only alerted to this when they send Tracy in yeah, to go Tracy check on Jimmy. The body. Her and Jimmy were together. I guess. But she finds the body. <laughs> she yeah, she, she doesn't the... mind moving on to someone else not soon after this, so. Yeah. <laughs> not long after yeah. this, I should say. Even though yeah, she like first rejects later. him, then she's like, oh, wait, take off your clothes. Like, what? Who wrote this? <laughs> Jim Wynorski? Oh, wait. Uh, he did, probably. <laughs> Yeah. So she finds Jimmy's body and everybody kind of comes flooding back to the lab where they're looking for subject 20. This kind of crazy scientist guy named Cal, he takes the body to like a medical room because I think Jimmy's just barely alive. But unbeknownst to everybody, subject 20's hiding in the body. Yeah, Cal, Cal is the one that looks like Weird Al to me. He looks like Weird Al mixed with somebody, but I can't think of who. He looked he looked like Brent Spiner did in... Uh... Independence Day? Yes, that's exactly yeah, right. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I sort of see it. But also, I, I want to point the scene out, because right after this, this is when we get like our first gratuitous nudity. We see Tracy undressing in her room and like looking at the photo of, of her and Jimmy. But there's this really cool shot where like there's goop kind of like coming down the screen for the camera and i don't know it was just like a really neat shot where you see her take her top off and then just as she's taking her bottoms off the goop completely like obscures her figure there's there's, there's a few classy things in this movie not many but a few <laughs> so colby's about to head to bed after they've kind of given up their search for the for the creature when the blonde lady seduces him with her fuck me eyes mm -hmm. and she pulls colby into her room and as we mentioned earlier, the guy watching the TV, he's pretty jealous, and his name's Earl. And it's like a sex scene that goes on for like two and a half minutes, but like half of it is just cutting back and forth. Yeah, they're cutting away rapidly. from it a lot, so it's, it's, you're yeah. not seeing two and a half minutes of sex, but sure. Yeah, I, I think if this movie was shown in theaters, they'd have to put a like 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 a possible seizure warning. <laughs> on it with some of the cuts you know what i mean Ooh, i don't know about that i mean we just saw urban legend with that scene with the drano i don't i don't know if it <laughs> compares with that poor old earl he's he's upset and uh as he's kind of pondering what to do a warning is being broadcast on his computer screen so he gets up to check it out and he's, he's just like looking around and then i guess he just gets attacked <laughs> by subject 20 sometime later tracy and colby <laughs> they're getting hot and heavy in the sauna so this is like <laughs> this is well, like it starts minutes. with just it starts with just tracy eventually yes he comes in and she's like get the hell out of here 
this is my <laughs> sauna or something. But then yeah. for no reason, she's like, wait a second, I guess you can take your clothes off. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's strange. And the look on his face, too, on the actor's face, he's like, real creep. Real creep vibes. But <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen, um, have you watched a lot of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? No, I've watched none of it. Okay, well, uh, this scene reminded me of it. So, you know, they're, they're getting a little hot and heavy in the sauna. Tracy's wearing these sunglasses and goop starts falling on her glasses. Wait, are, are we, is this going to end with us comparing the alien monster to, to Danny DeVito? No, no, but so, something similar. Okay. No, but, uh, but Tracy looks up and there's this alien, like humanoid alien monster in the vent and she screams and she rolls out of the way as the vent falls and uh, Colby turns around and he just starts blasting. <laughs> He just starts blasting his laser oh, gun at the ceiling. I, I, I know the meme you're talking <laughs> about then. <laughs> yeah, the Danny DeVito meme. Anyway, I started blasting. Bah, bah. So Subject 20 escapes outside, <laughs> runs out of the base. Hauser, Colby, and Sam, and this black guy, I forget his name. They all head out to Vasquez Rocks, just north of Santa Clarita. Featured in more films and television shows than just about any location. <laughs> yeah. Star Trek, yeah. uh, I want to yeah. say the Batman TV series. I think the entrance to the Batcave was somewhere around there, too. And so it's just oh, really? like, I mean, everything. <laughs> they find the body of Earl, and they find another cocoon, but the cocoon's empty. So anyways, they just start blasting it. Yeah, so they anyways, they start blasting. <laughs> it's true, they do. It's great. <laughs> also, the cocoons, first of all, I think we, we um, the cocoons kind of look like the facehugger from Alien a little bit. It's yeah. It's kind of spider-like. It's, yeah. it's overall it's, it's kind of neat looking I, I i appreciate it yeah i also like it was just like a neat shot when they had it strung up on vasquez rocks i, I really like that it was very now, do, do you know Trek-y. who's doing the effects for this movie no no clue john carl beekler a frequent recurring effects maestro on this podcast because we've oh, done really? ghoulies we've done slave girls from beyond infinity did a commentary track on Reanimator. I couldn't tell you exactly what he did, and you know, it just IMDb says he did the makeup effects or something. But I imagine he had some role in the creature design eventually when we see the full creature, and it's pretty good, pretty pretty good, yeah, pretty good creature. Well, yeah. Speaking of seeing the full creature, we see it shortly because everybody runs back to the base, and this very xenomorph-looking monster is hanging out on the side of the base. Well, it's like it's. It, here's the thing. It's like it, it, there's there is a xenomorph quality, but I, I'm gonna say the mouth. But it's just in the head. Yeah. Yeah, the mouth. It doesn't have the two mouths like the xenomorph, and they call it a metamorph, uh, I believe. <laughs> but the uh, the yeah. the mouth was kind of like a kind of like a killer whale a little bit. You know what yeah. I mean? And then the rest yeah. of the body is kind of just like a blob. <laughs> the rest of the body, I feel I feel like not as much thought was put into the the rest of the body, but but it's kind of like this like killer whale mouth coming from this like alien blob thing. It looks pretty good. Yeah, it, it's just kind of like a black mass behind it, mm-hmm. with like tendrils essentially. And that's yep. what it continues to be throughout the rest of the movie. I really like this scene a lot. Hauser is trying to save the creature, and it dives through vent after they start shooting at it. And then yeah. it comes back up through the vent and grabs Hauser by the head. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's <laughs> cool. And pulls him into the vent. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So for some reason, this vent ends behind a wall of the control room. <laughs> and it jumps out of the wall, breaking lots of things and forcing the remaining crew to retreat to like this mm-hmm. kind of secondary room. Oh, yeah, this is while... Um... 
what was her name? Is it Tara? Tr- Tr- Tracy? Tracy, yeah. This is what Tracy was in the control room and she was like tracking it and she was like, it's like, oh, this is where she's the like, oh, it's creature. Invent A1 or whatever. Yeah, and, then, then, and she's like, where is that? And they're like, it's the control room. And then boom, <laughs> just burst. <laughs> that was awesome. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it was scene. awesome. So as the rest of the crew is forced into this secondary room, we get this jump scare from Hauser, who is still alive, but like partially melted. <laughs> oh my and god yeah oh he god. looks we so didn't, cool yeah we didn't we haven't talked about this oh my god this is disgusting i this is true body horror this is amazing stuff like well when yeah you just it, see it, this blob because eventually it's like the bodies and like however many different pieces and it's just like yeah yeah i mean there was tissue it's it's truly disgusting but it is incredible Kind of throughout the movie, they keep cutting back to Cal in this medical lab, and he has mm-hmm. Jimmy's body in there. At one point, it, it, it just kind of coagulates, or like decomposes and coagulates into this gelatinous blob that's like sort of flesh-colored. Then it starts moving up almost as if yeah. it's like a heartbeat or, or it's breathing. Yeah, and then it splits in two, and like half of it just slides off the end of like this, of yeah. this medical bed. It's disgusting. It's like low budget john carpenter's the thing kind of yeah yeah it still looks awesome I, i'm assuming beekler is doing that i don't know for a fact but if that is if if beekler's like the main guy with uh the metamorph and with all this gelatinous body stuff I, i'm gonna go out on a limb and say this might be john carl beekler's best work i mean i, I haven't seen all movies he's done but i'm a lot i mean nothing against ghoulies but i'm a lot more impressed with the effects in this than ghoulies or uh reanimator or um halloween 4 i i think the thing that makes that makes it so disgusting to look at is firstly like the flesh color of it <laughs> yes and and it but it also well, so, is, yeah, it's not just one tone it's it's detailed in some spots it's transparent almost in a lot of it it's translucent and there's these weird kind of like red veins on it as well yeah you can tell they're like where some of the bones were at certain points yeah. and stuff yeah it's disgusting but amazing yep so that's that's when what i see... that's what i come to forbidden world for <laughs> i expected a sword and sorcery epic and i got this weird blob yeah. creature decomposing <laughs> human flesh yeah fantastic and that's kind of what we see happening to Hauser, except it's like starting on his face and part of his body. And he looks he looks like Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight. Oh, he looks better than after. that, but I see what you yeah. mean. Yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was reminding a little bit of the, the, the tar zombie in uh, Return of the Living Dead. He kind of reminded oh, me of that. I mean, he's yeah. not full zombie. He's like half zombie, hence the, the Harvey Dent two-face thing. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I guess this is the scene where we get the explanation of what the creature actually is and what happened to Annie. How's Annie? How's Annie? How's Annie? How's Annie? Cal tells Colby, says, the creature is protein B. It was spliced with an egg from Annie and DNA from Hauser. And then it was implanted into Annie and she was going to carry the creature to term and give birth to it. But it only pregnancy only lasted two weeks and it was such a strain on annie's body that it killed her and like they don't really go into any more details on that and i'm thankful like i'm thankful we don't yeah get a i was gonna say did you need more details no that's that's <laughs> no. exactly what we need that's all we need exactly and then this is the great <laughs> scene that you referenced earlier so while that's going on barb and tracy the blonde woman are uh, having shower thoughts together 
And but they're not in a shower, though. I don't know what they're in, but they're they're. Well, like she's standing... she's got like soap against Tracy's hair too. She's like, yeah, well, yeah, she's she's getting goo out of her hair, but there's no water coming down. Yeah, yeah, they're just like oiled up women standing in a room. With yeah, lights. it remind me of like a, a. It's almost like they're in like a decompression chamber of some sort. They're in like a corridor, but they're in this central part of the corridor where there's where there's just like lights beaming down yeah. on them, and I think it's supposed to be some kind of disinfectant or irradiation. It, it me, you know, kind of. It, it reminded me of like an old Star Trek set or something. You know, with all the like colored lights flashing and stuff. Yeah, except like, I wouldn't want to see James Dewan naked on that thing. <laughs> How dare you? He's a legend, but I wouldn't either. I agree. Though so we got we got a couple of very attractive women in these roles because Roger Corman, Jim Wynorski, they know what they're doing. They knew how to pick them. <laughs> yeah, Jim, Jim Wynorski just recently directed Attack of the 50-Foot Cam Girl, which I am pleased to report is exactly what I thought it would be. Uh, I don't really <laughs> want to say it's great or anything, but it's 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 what I thought it was going to be. Getting back to these shower thoughts, it's Barb's idea to try to communicate with subject 20 yeah she brought that up earlier and the men weren't having any of it so now it's the two women are like yeah this will probably work (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's how it was that you you thought you kind of thought that like oh they're end up going to end up saving the day because the men wouldn't listen to them and then it turns out to not be the case yeah it turns out that she was wrong the whole time and she should have listened to the men because uh, yeah. she goes in she starts trying to communicate with the creature via this computer which works exactly and it works and then there's this great scene where she types the question can we coexist and the computer just keeps flashing waiting 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 and then subject 20 is like putting this tentacle tendril thing down towards her and then <laughs> next thing you know there's just a shower of blood because it has shoved its tentacle up through her body awesome stuff it's fantastic so tracy and this runs is, this back. is uh, barb this is the blonde woman yes yeah just to be clear if we didn't say that this is the british woman which I will say, Tracy, I like. I I think she's more attractive, but Barb has those come hither eyes. You know, they're Barb's very, uh... Barb's got like the sexy like therapist look to her. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. The sexy doctor kind of thing, sexy librarian yeah. almost. Tracy's yep. Tracy's got more of a girl next door look. They're both very attractive. Yes. So it's, it's yeah, completely you know um, personal preference. I, I do happen to prefer brunettes to blondes, so that may have played a role, but I agree with you. I'm Ladies, take note. I'm more of a Tracy <laughs> Tracy guy. Well, speaking of Tracy, she runs back to the others to tell them what happened, and uh, Colby and I think his name's Ryan, the black guy, they run into the control room where Subject 20's created another cocoon. Here, we learn that Cal actually has cancer, and he probably doesn't have very much time left. Yes. And he comes up with the plan. He goes, you know, I'm going to either get the creature to eat me or I'm going to try to feed it my tumor and it will stop the cells from repro- re- reproducing, re-whatever. I don't <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the the, can- the cancer will act immediately to kill it, I think is his idea, yeah. which I don't know how that works. But this is also when the black guy gets killed because he gets, like, stuck. Or he's going through something. To, he, what's he trying to do exactly? He's trying to like... He's trying to get behind the creature and then right. like something short circuits and he goes to fix it and then it vomits acid on his leg. But yeah, no, this is this is when uh, the Weird Al scientist tries to feed himself to the monster and the monster <laughs> yeah. kind of just... It, it injures him, but it doesn't try to eat him. It tries to it like shoves him away. Was the monster consciously rejecting him because it knew he was cancerous or... 
was yeah, that just a like question. a spur of the moment thing? Because I, I think because then they try to remove the tumor from him, which is really nasty, but awesome. But like, yeah. I, th- I think they're, they're, the only reason why they're doing that is because I think Weird Al scientist has has determined that the monster won't eat him. But I don't think they really saw enough in that scene to say that the monster consciously rejected him. I think that it's just a scramble. The monster just throws him around a little bit, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it's a little yeah. confusing, but I get the plan. The the feeding cancerous dying tissue to this thing could kill it. Okay, I, I, it works. That's exactly what happens. And as you just referenced, there's this great scene where Colby has to oh my God. cut Cal open with like an exacto knife. Yeah, were you expecting tumor. this movie to be this fucking disgusting? No. First time I saw it, I was blown away. That's why I was like, this has to be Yeah, a- Alien, <laughs> Alien looks like fucking E.T. compared to this thing. And I'm not I'm like, <laughs> Alien, obviously the chestburster, we all love the chestburster and stuff like that. But like, this movie's freaking brutal. They're digging, because uh, he's trying to give him instructions while he's alive and cutting into his a body and it's because uh tracy is like late in getting the morphine and yeah, stuff she's getting chased by the monster and everything yeah but yeah and then there's even like a scene where colby's got like <laughs> like his whole forearm in this abdomen and like the skin is stretching and everything it's just covered in blood yeah there's a scene like that in videodrome like this is a true body horror film like not unlike something cronenberg would do so credit yeah, to director whatever the hell his name is alan holzman also without a wikipedia page well done alan holzman (laughs) well speaking of more horror and kind of gross stuff colby does get the tumor out cal unfortunately dies from pain or shock or whatever colby runs pretty much right up to subject 20 and shoves the tumor (laughs) in its mouth and as soon as he does that the monster just starts (laughs) Like vomiting, this pile of vomit all over the floor. (laughs) Also, I'd like to point out that this is uh, really the first time we've seen Sam. Because Sam's like trying to help out and just like shooting the thing randomly in this like lab set. This is like the first time we've seen Sam since they were outside, I think. So it's been like probably a half hour, 40 minutes. Like again, they didn't use the robot nearly as much as they should have. No, and Sam gets his head knocked right off, I think, right? Yeah, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But yeah, so the monster just vomits all over the place and then keels over and dies and immediately starts to disintegrate. And that's the end. Uh, Colby and Tracy are together in this wrecked, torn-up lab, and they're the only survivors. Uh, Sam, from... presumably fixable, but we don't really know. We, I mean, yeah, we no have, clue. They gave us no information on the um, engineering capabilities of... of uh, of this forbidden world you know we don't know if the robot can be salvaged maybe it's just yeah. scrap metal at this point but you know sam my favorite character i Rip. would like to think that sam made it bishop makes it into alien 3 despite being ripped in half and all milky leaking and everything so i don't think he <laughs> makes it out of leaking. alien 3 i've only seen alien 3 once i don't think he makes it out of that movie but he makes it into it at least so what do you think of forbidden world patrick Forbidden World was a pleasant surprise, even though I had seen it before. I didn't really remember it. I wouldn't have guessed that it would be this entertaining. What is the big thing is I wouldn't have guessed that it would be this brutal. Because even yeah. though like these lower budget Roger Corman like eighties movies, I was expecting like a decent amount of blood. I wasn't expecting picking through a guy's stomach to pull out his cancerous kidney, liver, whatever the hell. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. I wasn't expecting like yeah. that kind of gore and i think the movie pulls that off really well the creature design 
good enough. Yeah. Um, not yeah. anything too complicated, but effective. And still find a way to squeeze some tits in there. You know, I mean, it's it's like it's it's the the type yeah. of stuff that Roger Corman pulls off so well. Like, obviously, the sets are not great, and they're not even original for this movie, but everything is like good enough you know for as far as like a sci-fi horror kind of thing like yeah it's an alien ripoff but it's not like beat for beat or anything you know no you know maybe if we would have seen the image of uh what's her face annie dying when they when that she couldn't carry the creature to term maybe that would have looked more like the chestburster scene in alien they probably wouldn't have been able to pull that off as well but we didn't see that so i mean the movie was different enough I found it to be pretty entertaining. It's um, it's a gross, gory, fun sci-fi horror movie. Well, you know, and it, it's funny. You said something at the beginning when we were talking about Forbidden World. The poster has a monster on it, has a creature on it, but doesn't look anything like Yeah, it's like a devil-looking like monster. Yeah, and really, the poster looks like it's going to be really kind of cheap and sleazy and dumb. Well, that's what it is, though. I mean, that's what the movie is. It, it is, but like... but but. <laughs> But it's actually like a little better than that. Like I was actually it's a classy very kind surprised of dumb. when I saw it. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's a well executed sleaze. I think is I think is what it is. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, well executed sleaze. I agree. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great movie. And if you haven't seen it before watching this episode of the podcast, then I urge you to go out and watch it right now because well, it's a fantastic. Fucking late now. <laughs> So which one uh, do you like more? Do you like uh, Forbidden World or what was the other one we did? <laughs> well, I like the one that you, the, whose title you can remember. Uh, I, yeah. I do prefer Forbidden World to Urban Legend. <laughs> That's it, Urban Legend. It's not particularly close. Yeah, I just, I just, you know, Forbidden World, it didn't have the plot twist that Urban Legend has where all the red herrings and stuff. I kept mm-hmm. like waiting to see, okay, what's the next incarnation of the creature going to be what's the next bit of gore i'm going to see you know it it kept me engaged on that level of like constant escalation of of stakes and stuff so i thought i thought it was pretty well done could have done without the first five or ten minutes because you know the space dogfight yeah really didn't do anything yeah i agree that's it's probably recycled footage from something else for all i know knowing roger corman too who knows all right, Jim, which of these two films do you prefer, Urban Legend or Forbidden World? Though I did like Urban Legend a lot, and again, it made it really exciting for me with all the twists, I have to go with Forbidden World. This is the third or fourth time I've seen it, and I have enjoyed watching it more and more every single time. I love how B-movie, how quote-unquote B-movie it is, with like the... <laughs> the the takeout containers on the mm-hmm. walls and stuff like that the monster it doesn't look great but it's but it's definitely serviceable and it does some neat things and again like the effects they're just awesome <laughs> you know and they make yeah. me feel gross and uh, you know just you got some beautiful women that adds to it but yeah I, overall i i just enjoyed forbidden world more all right um how do you think this stacks up as a drive-in double feature i really like the pairing I, I guess if we're going to go with Urban Legend first. Oh, you have to. Yeah. It's less I was gonna... sleazy. It's more yeah. <laughs> mainstream. It's yeah. it's a better, it's yeah. a higher budgeted movie. It's more well-remembered by the public. Yeah, and I agree. Actual actors you recognize in it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you, even if one of them's a giant pervert who sends used condoms to his Ew. co-stars, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and like dead dead rats too. I yeah, think. something like that. I don't know. Um, and we haven't even talked about Jared Leto. That's just Tara Reid. <laughs> Got her. Uh, no, I I really like how I just like how they lead into each other. I guess I have this movie with over the top deaths and a murder gimmick, and then you lead into this crazy, insane B movie with funny looking sets and bad actors. And lots of gore and violence. I just like. I, I didn't think the acting was too bad in Forbidden World. Just for the record, I, I mean, yeah, I didn't recognize anyone. No one's like a star or anything. It was serviceable acting. Yeah, I, it was I serviceable. Felt, but That's I the word I'd use. I think I'm gonna say that it's not a great double feature, and the main reason, and I think this kind of sums up what I don't like about the post-scream slasher movies too. But Forbidden World. We already said it's well-executed sleaze. It is a sleazy movie with nudity where there doesn't need to be nudity, with <laughs> horrific bloodshed, all that stuff, creepy, disgusting creatures, blobs moving around, all that stuff, wonderful. I think the problem I have with the post-Scream slasher movies is they're not sleazy. Mm. Give give me like an early 80s slasher movie and, and pair it with Forbidden World, and I think it works so much better. Give me, I mean, we talked about The Prowler, which is uh-huh. as sleazy as movies come, but I mean, even just other ones we haven't covered, something like like The Burning, which is good but sleazy. Like, I, I just those kinds of, the, you know, the, the I like the, the low-budget 80s. There's like a grittiness to the low-budget of gotcha. Forbidden World, and there's just a polish to the 90s, late 90s teen slasher movies that I just... I guess I don't really look for in a slasher movie and a horror movie, but you know, you could give me a, a a a pairing like these two movies a few weeks from now, and I might say it, it works great because I like the contrast. And this time, it just didn't really work for me. I I, I can't really explain it much better than that. I uh, I wanted more sleaze out of that first feature to to kind of match the second feature. All right, Jim, this is what we're doing next week. We are doing the Mummy, the 1959 Mummy. So that's from Hammer Films, starring. Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, I believe, is the mummy. And then <laughs> Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. So this is our last episode before Halloween. Get your popcorn, your candy corn ready, because Halloween 3 is about as Halloween-y as movies get. <laughs> Halloween-y. I mean, is it not? Yeah, I agree. I just like it's, I just it's like, like that and Trick or Treat are to me are like even more so than the original Halloween are like the most Halloween movies. I feel like maybe, <laughs> maybe there's some others. Stop saying Halloween. I just picture like a wiener dog wearing like a little pumpkin outfit. I want to say I had a book like that as a kid that was about a wiener dog. I want to say <laughs> Halloweener maybe was the name of it, but I, I swear to God that book exists. It's a little children's book. It was great <laughs> about a, a wiener dog that dressed up as a hot dog. I think. All right, thanks for joining us, and we'll, uh, we hope to catch you all next week as well. Yeah, thanks for coming back for uh, Season 3, everybody, or thanks for joining us, if this is your first time. 